I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Now, last week, and I would, of course, want to get right into it, because last week we started on this, uh, Halloween and its origins, and uh, covered quite a bit. Uh, Now, tonight we'll be covering more uh, of the historical part of Halloween as well. As uh, we started in, as I finished up last week, we started into talking about fear and what fear does. And that's uh, what I'm going to start with here this evening. Because this is, this is something that uh, a lot of people don't realize. They, the, within us, within I think every human being, uh, there is that crazy, and it's the best, best way of putting it, a crazy desire to uh, scare yourself. You know, you, people, well, I don't want to be scared, and, but yet they, they seek that. And uh, I, I don't think we really realize how dangerous fear is. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And he's not given us that at all. So we are not a group of people uh, being Holy Ghost filled, baptized in his wonderful name, we're not a group of people that should be fearful of anything. We have, got, we have got the power to overcome fear. We have got the power of peace. We've got that power within us. We've got righteousness. We have peace. We have joy. It's all a part of what a child of God should have. And thank God that we, are, uh, we do have that and we can overcome these things. But let's look at it in just a little bit more detail here this evening. Because the most powerful forces known to man... And there's a lot of them uh, out there that we would think are powerful. We think nuclear weapons uh, uh, are powerful, but not in comparison to what I'm about to tell you. Nature doesn't, uh, it's, it's got wonders, and, and there's the might of the earthquake, the power of the sun, mastery of a hurricane. But the most powerful thing out there is the thoughts and the ideas of the mind. That's the most powerful thing there. Now, there's been various studies have dealt with the effect that thoughts have on the body and the mind. Thoughts are ethereal. They're, they're like a vapor. They have a profound effect on the mind and body. And there are cases of people dying in their sleep of a frightening dream or a nightmare. And we know this to be true for people who are awake have actually been scared to death. That has, that's not unusual. So, so we see that thoughts have a very powerful effect on the biochemistry of the physical body. Now, Jesus warned in Matthew 15, 18 through 20, and it's going to come up behind me here. Jesus warned his disciples of negative thoughts when he said this. He said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But he said, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now these negative thoughts have a powerful effect on both the mind and the body. In Tabor's Cyclopedic Medical Dictionary, its definitions of fear is this. It says it's fright, dread, Primitively, the emotional reaction to environmental threat. And now also presents itself frequently as an indicator of inner problems. When a person is constantly fearful, 
it is it lets us know that there are some some inner problems with that person and one thing's for sure whether we are uh, you can be holy ghost filled but yet you can be oppressed by demons demons work on the body when we open a door for a demon we can be oppressed now a holy ghost filled child of god does not have to worry about possession but they can be oppressed. And it was told to me many, many years ago by a man who's now gone, and he, he, he was an apostolic preacher, uh, and he told me that, and, and I believe him, he was old when I was, uh, old man when I was very young, and he said he had seen it more than once where Holy Ghost-filled people get demons. We used to talk about it like it being on your shoulder, whispering in your ear, but he said they can actually, they, they can infiltrate or they can actually get into your flesh if you allow them the, the opportunity to do so, that they can just attach themselves like a leech. Uh, when I used to do a lot of saltwater fishing, there was a, a thing called a remora that used to attach to the bottom of a shark. And whenever the shark got something to eat, he would detach himself and he would get the leftovers. And that's the way demons will do to even uh, someone who is right with God. So it's imperative for us to realize that if we've got some kind of interferes that we're not dealing with, that we can allow a spirit to attach itself to us and can do damage to us like you wouldn't believe. We should not be filled with fear. We should not be filled with fear. So why do we deal or let our children deal with Halloween? Let's go on with these definitions. Panic is sudden, overpowering terror, often affecting many people. Terror, an intense or overpowering fear. Anxiety. And that's where I hear a lot of people that shouldn't be feeling this talk about anxiety, anxiousness. You know, it's okay if you're in a church to be anxious. That's how they think. But let's look at anxiety. It's a, a troubled feeling, expressing a feeling of dread or fear, especially of the future, or distress over a real or imagined threat to one's mental or physical well-being. Anxiety in principle is the very same emotion as fear because the physiological responses in the body are very similar. And let's look at some of the documented cases from the uh, book called Psychosomatics which deal with fear and prove the power of the mind to bring fear into materialization. So in other words, if you think about it long enough that the devil can create a picture in your mind, this is what you will become. And this is what this is saying. An article in the New York Times uh, talked about a child's death in London that was actually laid to the fear of a dentist. How many people enjoy going to the dentist? You do. There's a, we need a psychological examination with these two right here. Nobody enjoys going to the dentist. <laughs> Unless you got a real bad toothache. I, I will give you that. You like the gas. Is that what I, okay, well, uh, we'll get, we'll get away from this one. <laughs> it stated that, that a four-year-old child had a bad experience with a local anesthetic uh, for stitches had, uh, that was taken from her forehead. Now, when she went to the dentist to have some baby teeth extracted, she began to scream hysterically in the dentist chair. And he gave the child a sedative to quiet her for the examination. Within a few minutes after having her teeth removed, the child had a heart attack and was rushed to the hospital where she died two days later. And the autopsy revealed the very high levels of adrenaline in her bloodstream due to the fear that caused her to have a heart attack. 
Fear of the dentist resulted in the child's death. So we see excess fear can be catastrophic to a man's mind or child even. So excess fear can kill you. Or some evidence that extreme anxiety in the form of, of panic and terror can be fatal. 85% of the people who die from snake bite don't have enough venom in their bloodstream to account for their deaths. Then how do they die? Well, the researchers suggested that the terror felt by the person who receives a potentially fatal snake bite may cause heart failure. And it's startling to note that not the snake's venom, but the fear and the shock in the victim's mind and their presumed image of death associated with a snake bite caused them to have a heart attack. I have seen people, when it comes to snakes, that they can be bitten by a known, non-lethal, non-venomous snake and still act like they're dying from it. I mean, I had one guy follow me around one time because I knew he was afraid of snakes and so he went into the restroom down to Marina, and I found a banded water snake. And so I just opened the door and threw it in there and shut the door, held the door shut. I wasn't in church. I wasn't trying to serve God. <laughs> Needless to say, I thought he was going to tear the door down. I actually have done that more than once. So, you know, I didn't know all this. I could have killed somebody. I would have been guilty. You see someone laying, someone that you threw a snake in beside them and they die of a heart attack. I wonder how they would. Uh, see. So be careful when you pull dirty tricks like that. None of you young people heard what I just said. Just be sure that you know. <laughs> a man that was fatally shot and dying, fear had seized him with tremendous power. It said he shook all over, and he, he bordered on the state of collapse, and death seemed imminent for this man. Not finding any blood while being undressed, a flattened bullet fell upon the floor, and the doctor exhibited the bullet to the frightened patient, explaining that he had, a, had, had a miraculous escape, whereupon his countenance improved, temperature became normal, and a look of, of life returned to his eyes and had been fixed with a gaze of death. So just the very fact that he thought he was shot... That's another thing I saw one time. There's too many of these things when I study them that I, in my lifetime I've seen. It's scary sometimes. Uh, I was standing beside a, a, a young man. I was a young man too. And we were firing pistols. And I had a, a Colt 22 pistol that, that actually what they did, it, the cylinder didn't align perfectly with the barrel and it, it shaved lead. So the bullet would, would shave a little piece of lead going into the, into the barrel. I fired it, and a little piece of that lead, it was hot, of course, hit this boy in the arm, and he thought, sure, I had shot him. I mean, he, did, he grabbed his arm, and the thing is, I thought I had shot him. I couldn't figure out how I had shot him, but I thought I had. And he hung on to his arm, hung on, and we looked, and there wasn't even a spot. It just a little piece of hot lead had touched him, and he thought he was, but he really thought he was shot. So the anxiousness of it all. So then, so when we allow children to go to haunted houses and we put them in that kind of place, then are we not doing some of the same thing? And then we wonder why they wake up at midnight with tears? Would they have some kind of nightmare? It's because of what? And it's not just something you do on Halloween when you let them watch the wrong things on television. Give the Lord a hand clap if you understand what I'm saying.
A severe case of fear can cause the heartbeat to increase, the room to seem to swirl around you, to be overwhelmed with anxiety, and these symptoms are followed by a panic reaction caused by increased adrenaline. A tragic byproduct, follow me, of fear in the lives of children as early as pre-adolescence is the interest and involvement in supernatural occult phenomena. They get scared and they want to check into it. They want, to, they want to look at what's going on. So then if fear is not of God, then Halloween is not just a time for innocent fun. The Bible states in 2 Timothy 1.7, God again has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. God does not expect us to go around fearful. He does not. He expects us to be able, and listen, when you teach your children fear, when you teach them to be constantly afraid, then they're going to think that the devil is the most powerful person out there. And the devil is not the most powerful. My God, the one who has saved me by His grace, is the one that is in all power. He controls all things. All things rest in the palm of His hands. Do not allow them to think fear is going to overcome our God in any way. Praise God. Halloween is a day that witches celebrate above all other days. Witches have eight major festivals throughout the year. One at both solstices, and that's just when the, uh, the sun is either the furthest north or south. And equinoxes, it's when the sun crosses the equator making night and day linked equal all over the earth. And at four other times during the year, February, announcing spring, April, welcoming summer, August, announcing fall, and October, awaiting winter. The major witchcraft festival is October 31st, tomorrow night. The major witchcraft, it is the big one. It is the big one. The earliest celebration of Halloween began among the Celts, who lived more than 2,000 years ago in what is now England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and northern France. Pastor David Meyer, a former occultist and astrologer, wrote the following. In the early days in England, there was a type of witchcraft known as Druidism. The Druids were known as men of the oaks. They were a strange clan of men who dressed in white robes. The Druids worshipped Serenos, the horned hunter of the night. Halloween was sacred to the Druids because their sun god receded to the underworld on October 31st, which is why darkness increased and light increased according to their reckoning. As darkness set in an October 31st, set in rather on October 31st, the clan of Druids would put on their white robes and their hoods. They would carry sickles and Celtic crosses. By the way, a Celtic cross is a cross with a circle on top. The same thing you see in some religions today. That is a Celtic cross. So they would they'd carry the Celtic crosses. They begin that torchlight procession. At the beginning of the procession, a male slave was killed and dragged by a rope fastened to his left ankle. The Druids would walk until they came to a house or a village where they shouted the equivalent of trick or treat. The treat was a slave girl or a female to be given to the Druids. If the people refused to give a girl as a treat, Blood was taken from the dead slave and used to draw a hexagram or a six-pointed star on the door or wall of the village. 
Spirits of the horned hunter of the night were invoked by the Druids to kill someone in that house or village by fear that night. Now, I'm going to touch more on this later on as we go through this. So I'm not finished with this particular part. Now, if the house or a village gave a girl as a treat, the Druids put a pumpkin with a face carved in it in front of the door or gate of that place. Inside the pumpkin was a candle made of human tallow, human fat, to keep evil spirits away. Thus the jack-o'-lantern was and is a sign that you have cooperated with Satan. The ancient Druids in Britain, France, Germany, and the Celtic countries celebrated the vigil of Samhain in honor of their god, Samhain, Lord of the Dead. Halloween, then, is a celebration of death. Halloween acquired sinister significance with ghosts, witches, hobgoblins, black cats, fairies, demons of all kinds to be roaming about the land. Samhain was the supreme, supreme night uh, of the demonic jubilation. Spirits of the dead would rise out of their graves and wander the countryside, trying to return to the homes where they formerly lived. Frightened villagers tried to appease these wandering spirits by offering them gifts of fruit and nuts. And this is the origin of the present-day trick-or-treat. They begin the tradition of placing plates of the finest food and bits of treats that the household had to offer on their doorsteps as gifts to appease the hunger of the ghostly wanderers. If not placated, villagers feared that the spirits would kill their flocks or destroy their property. The problem was, and this is what they run into, and again, we're going to be covering this because as we cover this, we start with the Celts, the Druids, and we kind of work our way up through the years, and you see how people adopted some of the same practices, just changing them a little bit until finally uh, the Catholic Church adopted All Hallowed Night's Eve, Halloween, and tried to make it uh, something religious. But the problem was if the souls of the dead loved ones could return that night, so could anything else. And that's one thing that I was talking to Sister Kim about, I think it was last Sunday, that uh, sometimes people want discerning of spirits, which is one of the gifts of the spirit. The problem is when you begin to discern what is good, you can also discern what is evil. And guess what? Evil and good can also discern you. So this is one thing that people, you know, they ask for gifts of the spirits. You've got to be careful what you ask for because you might get it and you may not want it after you get it. So they knew that something that, that could also come out, if the human souls could come out, something not so nice could also come out. So the only thing that superstitious people knew to do to protect themselves on such an occasion was to masquerade as one of the demonic horde and hopefully blend in unnoticed among them. So they begin to wear masks and other disguises, blackening their faces with soot, originally ways of hiding oneself from the spirits of the dead who might be roaming around. This is the origin of Halloween masquerading as devils, imps, ogres, and other demonic creatures. In many parts of Britain and Ireland, this night used to be known as Mischief Night, which meant that people were free to go around the village playing pranks, getting up to any kind of mischief without fear of being punished. Many of the different customs were taken to the United States by Irish and Scottish immigrants in the 19th century, and they developed into trick-or-treat. So it all began to develop into that. And, um, and you know, folks, it, it's, I said, I wasn't, always, I wasn't always in church, and that was a, a night that we used to do some really mean things, mean things. I remember some poor, she was a poor old lady. I lived in Sanders. <clears throat> 
And she never had her lights on. And I went to her, her windows, the soaper windows. And that, that came from using human insides on the house. I just told you about that. That's where this came from. So who decided soaping windows? Had to come from somewhere. And so they used that slave, the blood and so forth, to mark the homes. And that's where that soaping business came from. And the poor old lady was standing at the window, and I was hoping it seemed exactly who I was. And she told me the next day, you know, that I soaped her windows. It made me feel like a dog. Not enough to quit, but it did make me feel like a dog. But, you, you know, somebody has to go out and clean up that mess. Yeah, it's the same way with people who do the toilet papering. That's a big thing in the churches it used to be. Someone did that to my house one time. Uh, I told him I would get even. I still remember. I'll never forget. <laughs> so, you know, they uh, throughout the years, throughout the years, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I jumped in, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> these pagan Celts believed that evil spirits lurked about as the sun god grew pale and Samhain grew stronger. By lighting great bonfires on the hillsides on the vigil of Samhain, they hoped to scare away the evil spirits of those who died the previous year. I want you to note something. A lot of people on Halloween night get the big bonfires going. And they sit around them and they tell ghost stories. That's what they do. Now, where did that come from? It came from what I'm just telling you here. Everything has its origins. There has to be a beginning somewhere. And most everything that we do when it comes to some of these holidays has its origins in paganism, has its origins in, in witchcraft. It has it there. You know, another thing that we were discussing, and I'm, I'm not going to get into it tonight, I'm not really studying it out, but, but vampires have its origins way back. If there wasn't something to these things, these things wouldn't still be occurring today. People wouldn't be so obsessed with them. And people are obsessed with it. So they would light these big fires hoping to, to uh, scare away the, the evil spirits. It was believed that on this day the souls of the dead would rise from the grave to haunt those who were living in order to please Samhain. Now the term bonfire comes from the word bone fire, meaning bones from sacrificed animals and humans. So there were bonfires, if you were, were truly bone fires. That's where the term bonfire actually comes from. Throughout the year, the Druids would sacrifice such things as animals, captured enemies, by weaving them into baskets. But on the night of October 31st, a perfect sacrifice was required. This they did by going among the Celtic people to obtain virgin children. Once they got your virgin child, they would weave them into a basket called a wicker basket. Then hanging it over barren ground, they would read the omens of the future into it. The head druid would then call up a, up a demonic fire to consume the sacrifice. And if that did not work, they would set fire to the sacrificial wicker basket themselves. And then they would observe how that person died. Now the druids held these cruel fire rites. Prisoners of war, criminals, or animals were burned alive in these odd-shaped baskets. And again, by observing the way they died, the druids saw omens of the future, good and bad. In addition... On this important day, all the cooking fires were extinguished in the kitchens around the land. New fires were lit from the great bonfire to honor the coming year. Druids were the only fires that remained lit, and they levied a fee to the householders for lighting their fires. So the druids kept it, and they charged them for getting a new fire for the next year. 
You've got to remember during this time, fire wasn't that easy to come by. It took a while to, in order for a person to light a fire, and they kept, kept a fire going at all times because it was just too difficult for them to, uh, to keep going. By waving burning wisps of plaited straw aloft on pitchforks, people tried to frighten off demons and witches. Just in case waving burnt wisps didn't work, the druids also put on, again, grotesque and terrifying costumes, moving things up just a little bit. They believed that if you dressed as horrible enough fashion and went trooping around with the spirits all night, you would think that you were one of them and do you no harm. Sam Hain released sinful souls on October 31st. They thronged about homes and were met by banquet-laden tables. The Celts believed that when these spirits came to your house, if you did not treat them, they would trick you in some way. Now, trick-or-treat has been thought, moving up several years here into some of how the Europeans uh, began to build on what the Druids and the Celts believed. Uh, they, 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 uh, had a, uh, they thought that came from a European custom, or trick-or-treat thought they were coming from a European custom called souling. This is how they made something religious out of trick-or-treating. Beggars would go from one village to, to the next village, and they would get what they called soul cakes, made out of square pieces of bread with currants. The more soul cakes the beggar would receive, the more prayers that would promise to say on behalf of the dead relatives of the donors. At the time, it was believed that the dead remained in limbo for a time after death. That's where purgatory came from. A time after death, and that prayer, even by strangers, could guarantee a soul's passage to heaven. So they would actually feed the, the bums, if you would, the beggars, and they would feed them and say, Will you please pray for my relative who died this year, who is in purgatory, and pray them out and pray them into heaven. So they begin to take the trick-or-treating and try to make something just a little more holy, if you would, uh, out of that by allowing someone to pray for them out of purgatory. Halloween was also a time of divination concerning marriages. Luck and death was also a part of it. It was on this day that the devil's help was sought. Actually, people sought after Satan's help on October 31st. Isn't that interesting? I pray to God for the rest of the year, but on this day, I need the devil's help. There are two groups of divination. The metaphysical where white witches talk to rocks and nature, and the supernatural, where the witches talk to ghosts, hobgoblins, and the dead. And you can say what you want, and we're living in a time right now when the metaphysical type, the white witches, the Wiccans, if you would, uh, there are a lot of them out there, and there's a lot of people dabbling in all this, and they think it's all good, and, and they will let you know that, you know, I've actually had one of them tell me one time not too long ago uh, that they were here, and they were Wiccan. And they said when I shook their hand that I was a very powerful person. And I didn't even squeeze very hard. I didn't mean that. You know, I, I didn't squeeze. But they were, and, and, and you know, the thing is that when you're Holy Ghost filled, you're definitely going to appear to someone who's on the other side as being a very powerful person. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor or the saint sitting on the pew. You've got the power to cast out devils and to put Satan under their feet. Give him a hand clap. The first century before Christ, Roman armies invaded Britain and Gaul and made them a part of the Roman Empire. Roman soldiers stayed in the new territories, and as a result, they brought their beliefs with them. So the Romans had a festival for the dead in late October. They honored Pomona, goddess of the orchards. From the Roman festival of the dead comes apple bobbing. 
After Rome defeated the Druids, they outlawed human sacrifice, which was the trick if the Druid priest did not receive what they wanted from, from a home. So they begin to outlaw these things. We're going to make everything okay now. We're still going to practice this, but we're going to outlaw some of the practices. Founding fathers of our... This is the most interesting part of it. A lot of people don't get taught this in school. And you can look this up and go to the library and you can find these very things. The founding fathers of our country refused to permit the holiday. I hate to even call it a holiday, but they refused to permit Halloween to be observed because they knew it was a pagan holiday. They knew that. They did not start celebrating Halloween till 1846. So our founding fathers of our country knew, coming from, Europe, from the areas that the Druids were big in, where the Celts were, they knew what all this stood for. And so what happened, they began to allow more people to bring in their, their pagan ways into our country. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds just about like what's going on right now. They allow more stuff to come in. Yes, I know we're a, 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 we're a country of freedom, and we believe in letting people do what they will. But you know what? When it comes to the point of allowing them to influence truth, there has to be a line drawn somewhere, and it needs to be through God's people. The Druids continue... They continue on secretly to do this. I, I, let, me, let, me, let me back up a moment. Catholic monks were fascinated by the Druids. And Druids soon became members of the monasteries. So they allowed Druids still practicing their religion to come into monasteries. Pope Gregory decided to incorporate the Druid holiday into the church. They were to no longer sacrifice beasts to the devil, but they could kill them for food and give thanks to God for it. Pope Gregory moved this celebration to October 31st and called it All Saints Day, or All Hallows' Eve, thus Halloween. So on October 31st, members of the Catholic Church were to dress as saints. So they still practiced it. They just dressed up a little differently. That's like trying to dress up... I made that statement, I think, last week. That's trying to, to, to make a real gun look like a toy gun and give it to a child to play with. Or trying to somehow dress up a, a, a cigarette to look like a piece of candy and, giving, you know, and, and saying that's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. You don't practice something in the church or have anything to do with it that's, that's afforded into the, into the Catholics or, or into, into paganism, rather. You don't. Well, of course, Catholics and paganism, same about, about the same. Uh, so I said it right the first time. The Druids then continue on secretly with much of the same tradition. The widespread problems of harmful substances, I mentioned this last week, such as razor blades, drugs, poison, needles being placed, and Halloween treats here in America are no accident. And there is testimonies of a lot of ex-Satanists shown that these children killed and injured by the treats are sacrifices to Satan or to Sam Hain, same person. So this is all done to offer sacrifices to, to Satan. It's all a part of witchcraft. So let's just look at this for a moment in a different way. Now I want you to get this. If a person is not a Satanist, if they're not, what drives them to place drugs or a razor blade into a treat? 
Would it not be demonic spirits trying to receive worship through human sacrifices? Get 2 Corinthians, if you would, Lori. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. Just put it up behind me. I won't read it, but 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. Let's be up there and they can read it. Now let's look, let's look at modern day witchcraft. The modern man or woman who does not realistically face the evil and danger surrounding this time of year may say that witches are for Halloween. It's a time for children to visit the neighborhood to get candy and apples. And there's no harm in celebrating Halloween with its witches and devils. To some, witches are a figment of the imagination of the superstitious 17th century Salem primitive. Now, if witches are for Halloween, a thing of the past, why are so many young people and older ones alike being swept into the grips of Satan by dabbling in those things which relate to him? If it's a thing of the past, why are people getting involved in it now? Broomsticks, flying witches, regardless of how cartoon-like, shows a, an actual ritual in which witches mount broomsticks. This actually occurs. I want you to follow this. This actually happens. Which to them, the broomstick is a phallic symbol. And if anybody didn't know what that is, ask your mom and dad later. And leap high into the air around fields to teach the field to grow. So they actually do this. Now, they do this under the influence of drugs. And, and that's, that's part of it. They're, they're teaching the field to grow. So it's so that they'll have a, a good harvest. The flying part, witches believe they could fly great distances to their feast by smearing their bodies with flying ointment. The ointment contained drugs like belladonna, LSD, uh, and various other things that they put together. And they were on trips. Now, is this the image you want to convey to your children? You want to hang those little flying witches up there and convey the image that I just gave to you? Think about that. you got your little witches that are hanging on your, your windows at home right now. That is where that came from. And they still do it today. Nobody knows just how many Wiccans and other neo-pagans there are in the United States. But there are plenty to celebrate the eight seasonal Sabbaths in this country. Leading universities are now reportedly have capacity enrollment in courses on witchcraft. Book sales have soared as well as occult experimentation from astrology. Of course, the Ouija boards, uh, you, have, you have kids that get together and their parents allow them to have their slumber party seances. And, and they lead a lot of unsuspecting youth down the road to emotional and spiritual slavery through participation in Satan worship. That's, it's just leading them to slavery. Satan, Satanism advocates practicing a, a modified version of the golden rule. Uh, of course, he's dead now. Anton LaVey, he was the founder of the Church of Satan in San Francisco. He wrote the Satanic Bible, and some of the things were written, and it goes like this. Do unto others as they do unto you. Now, this comment by LaVey clearly illustrates a principle of which Satanism is based. That's what they're based on. This is something else. Things which are backward, upside down the wrong way round, are symbolically connected with the devil as the power which seeks to overturn the order and the worship of Jesus Christ. The essence of Satanism is the reversal of Christian values, the complete anti. Now, if that doesn't tell you 
about the antichrist spirit that is going to be here in the last days. That's where it all leads to. Everything has occurred from the Celts and the Druids all the way up until now, and it's getting more so, more so all the time, is leading us to a time when the antichrist will take power in the world. And that's what's happening, folks. It's just a small microcosm of you, if you would, of what's going to occur in a big way. And thank God, I'm a part of the church that's going to be long gone by the time all this takes part. If you're going to take part in it, my friend, guess what's going to happen? Thank you, Jesus. Other quotes from the Satanic Bible are, Blessed are the strong, for they shall possess the earth. And if a man smites you on one cheek, smash him on the other. To the Satanists, two of the most hated virtues possessed by Christians are humility and purity. That is the place where the church is attacked the most. Humility and purity. If the devil can destroy our holiness and our purity of our young people, then he's got an inroad into taking over. Now follow me. That's why you as parents need to stand strong when it comes to any Halloween tricks, anything your children are to get involved in, anything that might destroy the purity and the humility. You need to take a stand and say, no, I'm not going to allow this to happen. I don't care if your kids think they love you or hate you. Take a stand before before it becomes too late. Praise God. Modest is humility. Another word for humble in the Greek means low degree. Purity comes from the Greek katharos, clean, clear, pure. The Hebrew word means uncontaminated. Now there are some Halloween foods I'm going to touch on. The great celebration of Halloween in Ireland was never complete without call cannon. It's a dish made of mashed potatoes, parsnips, and onions. And with tiny objects inside, another way of telling fortunes. If a person found a coin in his or her portion of the call cannon, it meant that they would find wealth. A thimble meant spinsterhood. A doll predicted children. A ring indicated marriage. Scotch and Irish settlers held, held parties with double meaning of Halloween, a festival of natural and supernatural. Their table would be set with a pumpkin filled with nuts, raisins, apples, and other harvest fruits. There might be a pumpkin coach drawn by stuffed field mice. Inside the coach would be a tiny witch, a symbol of magic. Next, while the funeral music was playing, they would march to the table to a feast of gingerbread, donuts, pumpkin pie, cider, apples, nuts, and buttered popcorn. All that sounds good. I'm getting hungry. I'm not going to eat that, but I'll go home and eat one of Brother Hill's steaks. He invited me over. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the jack-o'-lantern a little bit. A common symbol of Halloween is the jack-o'-lantern. Now, the name possibly was derived from uh, that for a night watchman. Some people call them lantern men, hobbelanger, jack-o'-lantern, will-o'-the-wisp, or will. The lantern men got their names from pale, eerie lights that appeared over bogs and marshes in England. These ghostly lights which bobbed along like a lantern in someone's hand was called corpse candles. Fishermen in Kent would report that they saw corpse candles above a treacherous swampland on the coast. Candles were said to be signals from the souls of men who wanted to be buried when their bodies were washed ashore. It was thought if a bone or two could be found, 
the ghost would be laid to rest and the corpse candle put out. People were warned never to follow these strange lights because they would lead a person to a, a watery death in the deepest, most dangerous part of the swamp. More scientific view of the will of the wisp is called ignis fatus, which means foolish fire. There are two opinions of what this strange flickering of light may be. The flashing light of phosphorus like that of a firefly or the spontaneous combustion from methane or marsh gas that burns so easily. This gas is given off by rotting plants and animal forms in places where there's little oxygen. In Kent, England, the story goes that one farmer told of being followed home by a jack-o'-lantern. Shivering and shaking, the farmer said he jumped into bed and he pulled the covers over his head. And when he finally got the courage to get up and look out the windows, he saw the jack-o'-lantern at his window. The custom was that if you met a jack-o'-lantern, you had to immediately put out your own lantern lest Jack would dash it to pieces. If he came close enough to do that, you had to throw yourself on the ground and hold your breath. Some people imagine that the jack-o'-lantern were the souls of sinners condemned to walk the earth till the end of time. It's interesting when you begin to see that, because I can remember some times, again, in my youth, we used to see, we lived in a neighborhood of uh, some pretty crazy people. Uh, I was up at a friend's house. This was, this was Halloween night. And, uh, you know, I was pretty young. I looked out the front window, and <laughs> there stood a jack-o'-lantern. White. I couldn't figure out how in the world he did this. And he, he showed me. He was a neighbor. He was standing there right there at the gate, and all he could see was a jack-o'-lantern in a white sheet. And it scared me. And I finally figured out that he was standing there with his hands holding up the jack-o'-lantern, and I thought it looked, you know, looked like his head. Uh, we, had, we had people that would sit on the platform in a church and play music and would tell you ghost stories the same night and tell you and get mad if you said they weren't true. I mean, you're, even then, as a child, I knew that that was demonic. I knew that it was. You had a mixture there. And, and there's nothing worse than having something that you can't figure out. You know, how can this be right and then be holy at the same time. And as a child, you know, you pick things like that up. If you're doing that to your children, there's nothing worse that you can do to them. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So the jack-o'-lantern is a festival light for Halloween and is the ancient symbol of a damned soul. Originally, the Irish could carve out turnips or beets as lanterns as representation of the souls of the dead or goblins freed from the dead. When the Irish immigrated to America, they could not find many turnips to carve uh, into jack-o'-lanterns, so they, so they did find an abundance of pumpkins. Pumpkins uh, seem to be suitable substitute for the turnips, and pumpkins have been an essential part of Halloween celebrations ever since. Pumpkins were cut with faces representing demons and was originally intended to frighten away evil spirits. It was said that, that as a demon or such were to encounter something as fiendish looking as themselves, that they'd run away in terror, thus sparing the house dwellers from the ravages of the dark entities. They would have been carried around the village boundaries or left outside the home to burn through the night. Bats, owls, and other nocturnal animals, also popular symbols of Halloween, were originally feared because people believed that these creatures could communicate with the spirits of the dead. And for 
about the 26th time, I'm going to give it for you. What was that? Oh, well, for me. For me. How old are you? Okay. For the 25th time for you. Okay. The story of the man named Jack. Now, this story accompanies the Jack Lantern, is, uh, that accompanies Jack Lantern, is that of stingy Irish drunkard named Stingy Jack, who one Halloween invited the devil to have a drink with him. So the devil told him, he said, if you pay for it, I'll have a drink with you. The devil would be that way. But you can change into any shape you choose, Jack protested. Change yourself into a sixpence, and after I've paid for the drink, you can change yourself back. So the devil agreed. He mumbled a spell, disappeared, and there on the counter was a shiny new sixpence. But stingy Jack quickly placed the coin into his pocket, where a silver cross prevented the devil from getting out. If you'll let me alone for a year, I'll let you out, Jack promised. The devil agreed and was released. Jack intended to reform, to take his pay home to his wife and go to church, give to the poor. But as soon as he was out of danger, he went back to his old ways. The next Halloween, Jack met the devil on a lonely road. He's come for my soul, thought Jack. This time, his time, he tricked the devil into sparing his soul for ten years. But before the year had passed, Jack died. Turned back at the gates of heaven, Jack made his way to the gates of hell. Go away, shouted the devil. Where can I go, asked Jack of the devil. Go back to where you come, ordered the devil. You tricked me and made me promise not to claim your soul. So Jack began his trek back through wind and darkness. As Jack trudged on, eating a turnip as he went, the devil threw him a live coal out of the fires of hell. In desperation to find his way, Jack put the live coal inside the turnip. Ever since that time, Jack is said to be roaming the face of the earth with his jack-o'-lantern searching for a place to rest. And that is the story that accompanies the jack-o'-lantern. It's something, isn't it? When you begin to think of the paganism and all that's associated with this, and to realize that as God's people, we have such a wonderful opportunity to turn away the kind of paganism, to turn, turn it aside. To let people know exactly what we're talking about and what this means and what they're being involved in. And no, it's not an innocent holiday. And no, it's not something, I, I made a statement, like when, when, when you got, especially you got people today, now, in this time, with so much, uh, so, so many of these horror movies that's teaching people how to scare. I mean, some pretty bad things that are out there. And they want to scare children. They want to terrify children. This is not your little girl dressing up as a little fairy and going in into the house anymore. You don't know what you're going into. And why would you want to send them into something like that? Stand with me. I've got <clears throat> some more things I could do. Uh, Twelve things, that, Twelve scriptural reasons why you shouldn't participate in Halloween. Things that were, according to the scripture, were to avoid, which every one of them is associated with Halloween. Every one of them. But if there one thing's for sure, you participate in it, you're taking a chance. You're taking a big chance of involving yourself in something that, that could cause you problems. And you know, you may not get oppressed by the devil. You, if you're a Holy Ghost filled person, you're not going to be possessed. 
But the thing is, it gets in your mind. And when you get something in your mind, it begins to try to take over. And it leads you away. That's what the Bible says to lay aside every weight. And the sin that so easily besets us. So many things become weights. And if you get too many weights before long, you're walking around all bent over and you can't hardly make it. So what's the sense in putting anything before us that's going to cause us any more trouble? The Bible says sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Why would we want to create more evil? When you have all you have to deal with just in life, why would you want to create more? And that's one thing that we need to always think about. Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy. We praise you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We pray now your touch over each and every person. Allow them to see. Allow them to know. Bless them with peace, understanding, and I rebuke the spirit of fear. God, that will come on so many, Jesus, in the next couple of days. I rebuke it now in Jesus' name. And I release peace, Lord, upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, turn and shake somebody's hand. Tell them that they're fine looking.